Have you ever been told that you had an elevated blood pressure reading? Have you been told you had high blood pressure or hypertension? Have you or someone in your family been diagnosed with heart disease, stroke, or kidney disease? If so, you're going to want to keep listening because today I'm going to talk to y'all about blood pressure because y'all, the pressure is too damn high. You're listening to The Purple Stethoscope. I am your host, Devin Nixon, family nurse practitioner. None of the information provided in this podcast is intended to nor sufficient to diagnose your personal medical issue, but there is a lot to learn, so let's start the show. I don't think that I have talked to you all one-on-one since episode one, so I am kind of excited. We've had some wonderful guests, but today it's all me, y'all, doing what I do best, and that is teach about health and wellness for the culture, okay? So hypertension, high blood pressure, um, elevated blood pressure reading, these words are thrown around so much that I think sometimes they lose um, the impact. They lose, we lose sight of how absolutely important blood pressure and blood pressure management is. When something is so prevalent, I think it's easy for us to think, well, that's just what it is, or I'm hypertensive because I'm black, there's nothing I can do about it, or my mama was hypertensive, my daddy was hypertensive, of course I'm hypertensive, but the reality is there are a lot of factors that are within our individual control when it comes to blood pressure. So let's talk about what blood pressure is. Blood pressure is an arterial pressure reading um, with two numbers. So the top number is the pressure in the arteries while the heart is contracting, and the bottom number is the pressure in the arteries when the heart is relaxing. One of the things that I do in my work is stress testing, where we put patients on a treadmill and they exercise and we get blood pressures, um, follow their heart rate while they're working out. People always get so worried because their blood pressure looks higher than they've ever seen it on top. And I'm always explaining to them, like, that is the amount of pressure um, while your heart is contracting, you're exercising. So it's natural for that top number to go up with exercise. It's also natural for that number to go down when we are sleeping or resting, but it's the average that 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 number sits at, the average blood pressure that we have that really um, lets us know um, how we're doing blood pressure-wise. So how do you get the average number? Well, I'm so glad you asked. (laughs) I'm glad I asked on your behalf. Listen, you get that number a couple of different ways. If you're concerned or you have an elevated blood pressure reading at your doctor's office, you can ask for an ambulatory blood pressure monitor. Uh, Ambulatory is the medical term for walking right? So it's a 24-hour blood pressure monitor that you wear while you're walking around doing whatever you would normally do. It will, um, they will calculate your average blood pressure based off of that. And if that average number is high, 
then it becomes a diagnostic for hypertension, okay? A tool that can actually be used to say, yes, this person is hypertensive. Another thing that you can do if you have access to a blood pressure cuff is you can take your blood pressure every day, different times of day, what have you, for like, let's say a week, and then average that number out. Do y'all remember averages back in school where you just add all the numbers together and then divide them by the number of readings that you have? Uh, Same for the bottom number. A top number that's greater than 120 is considered an elevated reading, and a bottom number that's greater than 80 is considered an elevated reading. People kind of freak out about that because the rules, so to speak, changed. I want to say November 2017 uh, when new guidelines came out, new hypertension guidelines. We used to say, oh, 140 over 90 is acceptable. And now the consensus is that less than 120 over less than 80 is acceptable. And anything higher than that on average is elevated. So how in the world would you know that you had hypertension? That's a very important question, and I hope I have your attention in this moment when I go to answer it. You probably won't. Hypertension or high blood pressure doesn't make itself known until there's a problem. And as you can imagine, once there's a problem, then we're backtracking, you know, where it's a little too late. You know, we can get, start medication, start an exercise regimen, start eating better. But really the best thing to do is prevent ourselves from ever ending up in that place. And that's what I'm going to be focusing on for the remainder of this episode is how to prevent hypertension. And don't tune out if you um, have already been diagnosed with hypertension because the same things that we do to prevent them, we do to improve the condition, okay? So who does this apply to? You may not have a diagnosis of hypertension yourself, or you might. If you do, great, it applies. If you don't, take a mental look at your family history, Are there people in your family who have had or died from strokes? Are there people in your family who have been told they had kidney failure or who were on dialysis or told that they needed to be on dialysis? Um, Are there people in your family who've had heart attacks and they didn't really have any warning? You know, they just were going along living their lives and one day had a heart attack. Um... If you can identify several people that fall into these categories, then you're at risk for hypertension, and it's probably something that you should bring up with your primary care provider. Um, And if not, here are some things that you can do. First, you want to be able to measure your blood pressure if possible. Um, One of the easiest ways to do that is by purchasing an over-the-counter blood pressure cuff. I like the arm cuffs. I don't like the wrist cuffs. The wrist cuffs, um, a lot of times when patients bring them into clinic, they are really different than the readings that we get uh, doing a manual blood pressure in clinic. So I I don't really advise the wrist cuffs, but a good um, arm cuff is great. Amron 
is a, a great company that can get you a blood pressure cuff pretty fast on Amazon. And if you like to be fancy, you can get the one with the Bluetooth capability so that it charts it all into your smartphone. And then you have a printout or, or readout that you can look at and get your averages. Um, there, there's a lot of drugstores that have the cuff where you can just go and put your arm in. You know, you sit down right by the drugstore part of the supermarket and there's this thing where you can sit and get your blood pressure or take your blood pressure. I don't love those. And the reason is because the cuff size is important. If you use a cuff that's too small, then you'll get a reading that's too high. If you use a cuff that's too um, large, you'll get a reading that's too low and some false reassurance that you're not hypertensive when you could be, right? So I like the adjustable arm cuffs. Amran happens to be my favorite. Um, even patients who don't bring the Bluetooth one, they bring in the whole cuff and I can just thumb back through the numbers and see what was going on when. Uh, when it comes to taking your blood pressure reading, and this is important for people who are already on medication for blood pressure, if you're on medication, to, to see if the medication is... Um, efficient, if it's working well, then you want to take your blood pressure two hours after you've taken your blood pressure medication. Now, if you take it at night, right before you go to bed, just do it first thing in the morning. But if you take it, you know, during the day or in the morning or in the evening, and you're able to get a reading two hours after you take your medication, that's ideal because that tells us what you're treated blood pressure is. If you come in with a list of numbers, you know, way far away from the last time you took your medication, then we might think, oh, we need to be doing more. So two hours after you take medication, get a blood pressure reading. And if you're not on medication, you can, you know, do it the same time every day or, or random times if you want to kind of get an average picture. But there is actually a strategy to taking a proper blood pressure reading. Number one, you want to make sure you have an empty bladder. I know. What does that have to do with anything? Well, your bladder, think of it like a little balloon inside your body that holds water. Volume is pressure. What do I mean by that? I mean, when somebody has really low blood pressure, the first thing we do is get an IV in them and give them IV fluids. Or if you don't have IV access, you want that person to drink water. We want to add volume to bring the pressure up. Likewise, if the pressure is already high, right, we want to get rid of volume. Some of the blood pressure medications we use are called diuretics or water pills, and they literally make people go to the bathroom a lot more. A lot of patients don't like them because they're running to the bathroom all night or, you know, during the middle of the day when they're trying to work, they're going to the bathroom too much. I get that, but understand the mechanism. It's getting rid of the volume so the pressure can come down. So the first thing you want to do is make sure you have an empty bladder. Second thing you want to do is sit quietly for several minutes, okay? This is hard. I think that's probably the hardest part of it for me um, because that doesn't happen a lot in my life. I got kids, I got dogs, I got husband, I got mom, I got always something going on. 
but just try to sit quietly for a couple of minutes and make sure your feet are flat on the floor, your legs are not crossed, your back is supported, and that cuff is at heart level, right? So you put that cuff on your upper arm and it's at heart level, and then you just relax and take the reading. Don't hold your breath. Don't breathe funny. Just breathe normally, and you'll get... Um, on these modern cuffs, you'll get probably three numbers, right? Your top number, your bottom number, and your heart rate, okay? That top number and bottom number together are your blood pressure, you know, 120 over 80 or something like that. And you can just record it and kind of track it. What do you do if you are consistently getting numbers that are high, 140s, 150s, 160s, over 90s, over 100s. Well, then we have to act. You know, the first thing that I would instruct anybody to do is to make an appointment with their primary care provider when they're going to ask you, well, what do you need to be seen for? And you want to tell them elevated blood pressure readings or high blood pressures at home, something like that. Then you're going to bring your log to that appointment and talk with your provider about options. They'll be able to go over several different things that you can do to bring your blood pressure down. And I'm going to be real with y'all. One of those things is taking medication. If I had a penny for every time I heard someone say, oh, they just want to get you on those drugs so that they get more money in their pocket, you know, and this sort of thing, I I can totally understand how people might think and feel that way. But what I will also tell you is that paying for a medication monthly will be a lot cheaper than paying for a heart attack, for paying for that hospital stay, for paying for that time lost at work, if you're able to go back to work. It's much more cost effective to, you know, pay what you need to pay for medication or or see what you can do in the way of correcting blood pressure on the front end, which may include medication. Okay, I want to say that up front so that people aren't alarmed. It's depressing. I'll be the first to tell you it is depressing to find out that you have an ailment that you need to medicate for. Um, It feels like personal failure, right? It feels like... You know, we we all know this stuff to some degree, and so when we get caught up, we tend to feel like we did something wrong. But I will tell you, the American diet, we call it the SAD diet, the standard American diet, it's a setup for hypertension for anybody, okay? Um, The prevalence of hypertension in the United States is about 30% in non-black adults and in black adults it's about 40 percent you all so four out of ten african americans have hypertension so this is like a super important topic because we also have a greater incidence of death from complications of hypertension stroke heart attack kidney failure okay if I had a lot more time and um, I don't know, you, you can read about the different reasons that some people think that black folks have higher blood pressures. Um, I've heard everything from we retain salt and 
and other people don't as much. I've heard the stress of life. I mean, um, there is increased um, renal sodium reabsorption in about 57% of African Americans compared with 27% in other groups. Um, So what am I talking about? Let me bring this down to uh, a non-medical expert level, right? Sodium. We reabsorb sodium. Well, 57% of us do. So when I see patients in clinic and, you know, I'm going over hypertension with them, the first thing that anybody tells me is, I never salt my food. I, I don't even use a salt shaker. And I answer them by telling them, you don't have to. You don't have to put salt on anything. There is so much sodium in processed foods, you guys, that we don't ever have to put salt on anything. What am I talking about? I'm talking about if it has a shelf life of greater than a week, okay? It's not going to spoil on the shelf in a week. That's usually because it's full of preservatives, which tend to be quite high in sodium. So how do you get away from that? If that's just the standard American diet, how do you get away from that? Well, first of all, knowledge is key, right? Knowledge is key. 68% of dietary sodium, okay, so almost 70% of the sodium you're getting from your diet comes from processed foods. Comes from processed foods. What what do I mean when I say processed food? I mean, if you take it out of a box, a bag, a can, the freezer, if you can't just look at it and say what ingredients are in it, the likelihood that it's processed is very, very high. Okay? That's just the way that it is. Another 15% of sodium in our diets is found in restaurant meals. I work full-time, I do business on the side, I have the whole family, all of that, eating out in restaurants. Listen, a lot of times that's when we're doing business because we got to eat, right? So you meet. that's when you have your social time with your girlfriends. You meet the fellas to watch a game and eat some, you know, whatever pregame <laughs> food you enjoy. And this is where the sodium is being found in our diets. Only 13% of dietary sodium is added while cooking. So I tell people, you know what? If you get rid of processed foods and eat out only a couple times a month, I'll give you the salt shaker back. You can have your salt shaker. You want to avoid sodium in your diet? Cook at home. Only 4% is found naturally in food. So if you're eating fresh food and you're cooking at home, You don't have as much sodium as people who are, um, you know, eating out of a bag, a box, a can, the freezer meals, the ready-made meals, the food delivery services. If it's not going to spoil in a week or at least ripen up real good in a week, it's probably full of sodium, okay? So that's one major thing we can do is decrease the sodium in our diets, right? Another thing we can do is move. Exercise, exercise, exercise will bring your blood pressure down. 
Now, I am of an age, listen, this is a real podcast. I'm a real person and I'm talking to real people, okay? So a lot of times I listen to people talking and they're talking about how they exercise 60 minutes a day and they walk 10,000 steps and they do all this and that. And um, it can be discouraging because for some of us, you know, we're commuting, we're working, and we're trying to hold a family down, right? Exercise doesn't make it I mean, most of us aren't even eating three times a day. That's how busy we are. But exercise, I have to tell you, I would be remiss if I left it out. It will bring your blood pressure down. So real quick, let's talk about some ways um, to move a little bit more, okay? Parking farther away from an entrance. Easy. When you have a break at work or when you, you know, a lot of us work straight through and don't take breaks because... I don't know. I used to be a smoker. And when I smoked, I took breaks. But when I quit smoking, I guess I gave up my breaks too because I didn't want to be tempted to smoke. I don't know. But now that I'm so far from smoking, I can take a break without wanting a cigarette and just go walk. Just walk around your building a few times. Walk up and down the street a few times. Um, I have dogs and they require exercise, you know, walk the dog, take the kids for a walk, make it a romantic thing with your spouse or your partner, where after your dinner meal, you all go for a walk, or maybe you get up in the morning and go for a walk together. Notice I keep saying walking. I am not talking about joining CrossFit, getting in the gym and deadlifting. And to be honest, I've seen many men Uh, middle-aged men who have their first heart attack and that's what they want to do. They want to get back in the gym and pump iron. And it's like, listen, that's not going to go as far for you as changing your diet and exercising well. Okay. Now I talked about smoke breaks. Listen, if you're still smoking in 2019, I know that your addiction is very strong because they have made it near impossible to enjoy a cigarette. As a former smoker, first it was, you got to be 25 feet away. You know, indoor smoking went away. It used to be there was a smoking section and a non-smoking section in a restaurant or a club or whatever. That went away. Then it was 25 feet from the door. It's gone away. You know, and then there's some social stigma that goes with that, you know, depending on where you live. And a lot of um, more affluent communities, you, you know, uh, what is it? What is it? Vaping is all the rage. You know, smoking a cigarette is just, you know, I don't know what these people think. Smoking anything isn't good for you. But if you're smoking, first of all, I know your addiction's very strong. And so I don't take that lightly. I don't, you know, I'm not going to sit up here and be like, oh, by now everybody knows you shouldn't be smoking. Why are you still smoking? No. It is, it's an addiction and it's strong. And when you're smoking a cigarette, usually what you have to do now is separate yourself from whatever stressor is happening, right? Because you can't just light up anywhere. You have to get up and go outside. And then you're taking deep breaths. Granted, you're taking deep breaths full of chemicals and nicotine and tar, but you're separating yourself from stress and you're taking deep breaths. Try doing that. Without a cigarette. I know that probably sounds so crazy, but I'm being so serious. Try when you want to have a cigarette, just getting up and going outside and going for a walk instead. Um, and, and then just figure out what your triggers are. 
you know. I used to want a cigarette with my coffee first thing in the morning, definitely while I was driving, and after every meal. And I'm going to slide this in and be honest with you guys. When you when you smoke, your metabolism is higher. You're, you're smoking nicotine. It's a stimulant. And so you're burning more calories. So if you quit smoking and you continue to eat the exact same amount of food that you ate as a smoker, you're going to gain weight. Uh, I am not proud (laughs) of how much weight that I gained, but what I will tell you is it was very subtle. It came on very subtly over several years and finally leveled out at a a number um, that, you know, we don't need to get into that. But (laughs) um, so when you quit smoking, you either got to start moving or you got to get on those portion sizes right away. Or else you, you know, you run the risk of, of the, the story that we hear all the time. Oh, I quit smoking and gained 50 pounds. Well, I'm telling you why. So if you're, if you're smoking, um, try to mind your triggers, get away, take deep breaths without a cigarette, go for a walk, and be mindful of replacing that hand-to-mouth habit with putting food in your mouth. Just be mindful of it, you know? Baby carrots, sugar snap peas. Um, there are healthy things that we can chew on. You know, it's one of my favorite things to chew on is cinnamon sticks. The full size cinnamon sticks. I know I sound real. Um, I don't know, crazy right now, but that's okay. Cinnamon's good for you. It helps um, with blood sugar, and it and it tastes good, and it's something to do, something to have in your mouth that's not a cigarette. So movement. Salt intake, smoking, weight loss. Again, weight loss is going to help with blood pressure. Why? Because of volume and pressure, like we were talking about before. More volume, more pressure. Less volume, less pressure. How do you lose weight? Eat fresh and dance. There's an episode about it I invite you to check out. Um, There's a lot of fad programs. There's a lot of cleanses and diets and things of that nature. And... What I will say to that is in a life-saving situation where you got to do something quick, fast, and in a hurry, I get it. But we're talking about sustainability here. We want to make changes that we'll be able to walk out for life. These are lifestyle changes. You don't quit smoking for a month. You don't quit smoking for 10 days for for a 90-day cleanse. No, when you're quitting smoking, it's with the intent that you're not going to be a smoker anymore. I'm going to take the last couple of minutes to talk about complications of hypertension. Imagine a circle in your head, okay? And this circle is the inside of your artery. And if it's hollow, there's plenty of room for blood to flow, right? But let's start filling that circle in. Let's fill that circle in with, let's add some cholesterol. We'll put some cholesterol in there. We'll put some cellular debris, right? Just some, some, you know, cellular pieces, particles, things that are flowing through the blood. If you want to add sugar, think of sugar like little shards of glass flowing through your blood. If your blood sugar is high, it's going to scratch up the inside of your um, artery, right? So it'll be a little frayed. It might be weaker. It might just be a fragile vessel. Now add inflammation. Swell that circle up. 
Can you see in your mind's eye how much less room there is for blood to flow? And then your platelets are going to come along because their job in the ecosystem is to patch it up. And they're going to patch up all the little scratches and injured places, not even realizing that they're helping close off that vessel. Now, put everything going on in that artery under high pressure. You can break a piece of that cellular debris, cholesterol, the combination of all those things that are in the artery tight, a loose, and it gets to a spot where it can no longer flow through. Now you're having a stroke. Depending on where that clot went, you might be having a heart attack. Now we're talking about some really serious complications. If you know anyone who's had a stroke, they are debilitating. Sometimes people can't talk after they've had a stroke. Sometimes people can't walk after they've had a stroke. Sometimes people become 100% reliant on others for their care. You guys, this is what happens to us when we have these problems like high blood pressure that go untreated for so long. A heart attack can drop you dead. Just think about that for a second. I don't know how old you are. I don't know how many people depend on you, whether you're married or single, whether you take care of parents, whether you have children of your own. Think of all the people in your life that would be affected if you had a heart attack and dropped dead. Blood pressure doesn't make itself known. It's one of those things that you have to go after. You have to do the work of finding out what your numbers are, where they average, and if you need to go in, see your clinician, and get on some medication to prevent these things from happening. If you're doing the best you can with your lifestyle and your numbers are still high, you may need the help of medicine. If you're not doing the best that you can, but your life isn't going to permit you to do the best that you can in the near future, you're going to need to go into your clinician and find out what you can do about your blood pressure. I say this as your sister. I say this as your friend, as your daughter, as your cousin, as your homegirl, not just the nurse practitioner, but all those other roles because I've seen this happen around me my entire life. And it's preventable. It's preventable. Imagine if your grandmother knew the information that I'm telling y'all now. Imagine if your grandfather had access to knowing these kinds of things and could have prevented that stroke that shook your whole entire family. You're going to be that grandma. You're going to be that uncle, that grandfather, that father. So my hope in sharing this information with you guys is that you can get in front of it. Listen, genes get too much credit. Habits are passed down too. Let's break the habits. Let's break this trajectory that a lot of us are on because we don't have the time to pay it any attention We don't have the money to access the care. We don't have the time to take off work and go into the clinic. Hey, I'm only talking about your life, okay? And 
I'll tell you in my experience, people know or have an inclination that they might have these kind of problems, but it's when they have the heart attack that they suddenly want to turn everything around. That's when suddenly they have the time to go to cardiac rehab, to learn how to exercise, to learn how to eat better. That's when suddenly they have the time. I'm encouraging you not to wait until then to do the work now. Okay? Listen, thanks for listening. I know this was technical, maybe kind of nerdy, or maybe it really resonated with you. And if that's the case, leave me some comments. I'm on Instagram, D the NP, Twitter, D the NP, pretty much D the NP across all social, okay? Y'all take care. Love you so much. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time. Thanks so much for tuning in to The Purple Stethoscope. I'm your host, Devin Nixon, family nurse practitioner. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at D the NP. That's at symbol D like Devin, the NP like nurse practitioner. If you like what you've heard today, go ahead and share the episode or even better yet, rate and review. I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.